Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So before the show today, I tried to like dig through the internet to see if I could find one of those old ESPN graphics or a shot of one of the old ESPN graphics. I think we talked about this in one of the days this week. The idea of like showdown Saturday. ESPN, it seems like years ago, used to kind of put some like theming around a big weekend. And it seems like every year around this time, late September, early October, it's like just one of the biggest weekends of the year with like so many massive games and there's just a little bit of extra excitement because of the of the level of competition and we're going to get into more of these games a little bit later on there are so many good games on Saturday it's sort of hard to talk about them all last week you might say that there were so few at least on paper really good football games it was hard to find enough to talk about for content and things like that this week it's one of those things where there are so many that there are a handful that probably kind of fly under the radar that's a really fun weekend and there are times in which the action away from Athens especially in this era in which Georgia's been so good and some of the games for Georgia have been rendered kind of non-competitive there are moments in a season in which the action away from Athens is so compelling that it actually might make me slightly more interested in some of that than I might be in a Georgia game where it seems like the outcome is already predetermined perhaps you maybe either heard in the sound of my voice or maybe I just said this overtly first couple of weeks I was not that into Georgia UT Martin. I was not that into Georgia Ball State. I think we're kind of in an era now where I think it is more than fair to question whether those games should even be played. And while UAB on paper isn't really any better than UT Martin or certainly Ball State, Georgia's like a 42-point favorite on Saturday. For whatever reason, I am just way more interested in this Georgia UAB game than any of the previous kind of cupcake-style games that Georgia's played already this year. And on a day in which my attention as someone who loves college football, loves Georgia football specifically, but beyond that, loves college football in general, even on a day in which we're really interested in what happens next for Coach Prime and really, really excited about Ohio State, Notre Dame, and then the Alabama soap opera, how does that kind of bleed onto the field on Saturday against Ole Miss? We're like really into all those things. The truth is, for me, I am just as excited about Georgia UAB as I am any of the other games. And I'm not like overstating that. I don't think I'm not trying to exaggerate my opinion on that just for the sake of having some content to discuss. I do truly believe that. In fact, I'm going to try to make the case for you here over the course of the next couple of minutes. I want to give you three reasons why. And I want to start with Kirby Smart here, because if you go back to Saturday, Kirby Smart was asked a very uh, you know interesting question that he gave a very compelling answer to in his post-game press conference on Saturday. Georgia had overcome some adversity to beat South Carolina. Coaches talk about that kind of stuff all the time. Kirby Smart in particular talks about that kind of stuff all, all, all the time. And so therefore, if if it's good to overcome adversity, and if, as Smart had said previously in that press conference on Saturday, if you learn something about your team by how they handle adversity, then in a roundabout way, are you then glad the game against the Gamecocks last week unfolded the way that it did? And in saying no to that question, Smart then took the conversation to a slightly different place, which I think sets the stage very well for what we could see tomorrow against UAB. This is Kirby Smart on the subject of his team handling adversity on Saturday and what Kirby would rather see, his preference would be for these dogs. This is Kirby from last Saturday. My expectation is we go out and dominate and uh, create a nightmare and make people never want to play you again. We didn't, we didn't do that today. We didn't like, make them never want to play us again. Uh, but we did respond to adversity. 
And that's, that's all it is. I mean, it's, it's going to happen all over the country, guys. Go look. It's going to happen all over the country. People have to play close games to get better. And the expectation that's created for these teams that are the top-tier teams, it wasn't created by them. It's created by perception. You are what you do on the field. And we are, right now, a team that has played three average first halves. I don't know if they're even average, but um, they, they have responded. So let me tell you how I interpret what Kirby Smart says there. Obviously, he would say it's good that our team handled adversity on Saturday against South Carolina, and any eventual national champion will have to overcome a little bit of adversity on the way to winning it all. That's what Smart says. But the additional subtext of what Smart's saying there is, while it's good to handle some adversity well, it's a lot better to cause adversity for the team you're playing, that you want to dominate them. You want to be a nightmare for them. You want to make them never want to play again, that it's okay every now and then to handle adversity, but you better spend most of your time causing adversity. You better spend most of your time punishing the team that you're playing. And frankly, thus far this year, I don't quite know that we've seen Georgia really do that. We certainly did not see that against South Carolina. And I think you turn your attention to UAB on Saturday to say, well, is this the day that finally Georgia, and admittedly, uh, you know, you'll only take so much from this because UAB is a pretty bad football team. But is this the day that Georgia finally causes adversity for the team that it's playing? Does it punish them? Does it dominate them? Does it make it a nightmare for them? Does it make it ne- does it make them never want to play the sport again? The kind of you know cool language that Smart uses in the clip that we just heard. And so, if you want to know one of the reasons why I'm interested in this game against UAB is because I want to see if Georgia can kind of come out there and set the tone in that regard from the start. It seems like this team's sort of chomping at the bit to be able to do that. And now with our own eyes on Saturday night to see if they can actually take that next step before the season moves into a little bit more of what I think of as kind of the stretch run coming up after that. Now, you hear Kirby Smart say that, but when you listen to Georgia players here this week, you get the sense that they are starting to feel a little bit of restlessness about the fact that maybe yet they haven't quite shown everything they can be and are kind of ready to show that as they go out and uh, play here this uh, this week and moving on to the future. I'm going to give you an example of that. Zion Logue, who I think is an amazing kind of what I think of as sort of a spiritual leader for this Georgia defense, one of the most animated players on the field. He's always pumping up the crowd and getting folks excited. I love to watch Zion Logue right before snaps because I think he's just really entertaining to have your eyes on. Well, he was really frustrated off Saturday's game because Georgia gave up a rushing touchdown, and perhaps the rushing defense for Georgia, even though it's better than almost anybody in the country, hasn't quite been up to the standard that he wants to be as of yet so Kirby Smart says last Saturday after the game hey we didn't dominate we didn't we didn't create a nightmare for our opponent and when it comes to the defensive side of this rush defense in particular that's something that Zion Logue says that can't stand much longer he's about ready to see that change so on the idea of the mindset the attitude the psyche that Georgia brings into the game tomorrow night let's let Zion Logue's words give us a taste of what that might be like Closing your eyes when you watch a film, don't even want to see it. Just makes you it makes your stomach uh, just makes your stomach sick. Um, we we show our our standings every week, and just with us being fifth in rush, rushing defense right now, it makes me sick. I want to fix it right now, but I, I can't fix it till Saturdays. I love it. He says, I want to fix it right now. I'm not happy with how our rush defense is played. I mean, to use his words here, I wouldn't dare say this to him. He said it himself. I'm embarrassed we gave up a rushing touchdown to uh, South Carolina. Uh, I'm embarrassed by that. I want to fix that right now, but I have to wait until Saturday. Well, guess what? Saturday's tomorrow. 
and this Georgia defense that says we are chomping at the bit to go out there and really dominate an opponent the way that we expect Georgia to we get a chance to see that tomorrow night that's must see tv for me or those of you in the stadium that's that's a must watch experience to see how Georgia responds to a few weeks of I haven't quite got it going yet the way that Georgia expects to this defense tomorrow could be something to watch the crowd rallying behind them night game atmosphere that UAB coach Trent Dilfer says will be better than the Super Bowl that's a fun vibe for tomorrow night's game and I don't care who the opponent is just seeing Georgia go out and show some teeth I think it's about time for that to happen. I think this Georgia team is about ready to do that. Now, on the other side of the ball, I also think it's fascinating there as well. And the one thing you've kind of heard me say a few times here is, I don't know yet that we have fully seen that true breakout moment from Georgia quarterback Carson Beck. I think Beck's been more good than bad. I truly do. But in terms of really demonstrating who he is, the comparison I made a few weeks ago was the Stetson Bennett versus UAB moment, which ironically is also the opponent this you know Saturday as well. But I don't mean it because it's the same opponent. I mean it because we got a glimpse, success leaves clues, we got a glimpse of how good Bennett could be when he threw five touchdowns against UAB in 2021. And then when he started taking over full-time and leading this Georgia offense, we already knew that, wow, Bennett had some real skills behind him because he had that like really, really big game. We also referenced the flea flicker touchdown pass that Jake Fromm threw to begin the game against Mississippi State uh, early stage of the 2017 season. That's also kind of a moment that lets you know that, hey, Jake Fromm it can be a really trusted first-year starting quarterback for Georgia and perhaps lead you to where this team uh, ultimately wants to go. I have suggested that I don't know that we've seen that moment yet from Carson Beck. But yesterday on the show, and I got a lot of feedback from some of y'all about a very strong appearance from Terrence Edwards yesterday on a number of topics, but I got a little bit of uh, interesting um, response to Terrence Edwards when I said that I don't know that we've seen the real breakout introduction moment from uh, Carson Beck yet as the Georgia quarterback. But on the show yesterday, the former great Georgia wide receiver Terrence Edwards said he thinks that I'm wrong, that actually that breakout moment for Beck may have come last week. And if, if, if Edwards is right, it's another reason why tomorrow is fascinating. This is what Terrence said on yesterday's show. Believe in my opinion, I have to push back a little bit. I think his breakout moment was the second half okay. of the South Carolina game. I okay. think if you look at his stats, I think it was twelve for seventeen, about one hundred and fifty yards um, in the rain. Um, he would have led his team on six straight scoring possession or something like that. Don't quote me on my stats. So I think he did exactly what I would l- like for him to do for four quarters in the second half versus an SEC opponent down eleven points. You got a quarterback just starting his first SEC game in that type of environment, and he went and performed in that second half like I think I've seen and all the coaches have seen um, him do. So I think that was a a pivotal moment for him and, and his confidence. So what Terrence says there makes me so much more excited for this game on Saturday against an otherwise forgettable opponent in one of those games that you just sort of want to in some cases, I might just want to fast forward through to get ready for the big full SEC slate that's coming up starting next Saturday. What Terrence says about UAB or about about Carson Beck going into UAB actually gets me much more excited about the game because if Terrence is right and the breakout moment for Carson Beck occurred in the second half last week against South Carolina, then it stands to reason that that would continue into the first half against UAB, doesn't it? That if they found a spark and if Beck kind of arrived fully and completely on the scene, 
then there ought to be some continuation and some carryover for this game tomorrow with Beck at the helm. And to put a negative spin on this just for a second, I don't think you want to go on the road next week having gotten off to four straight slow starts offensively. Four straight kind of somewhat middling first halves in terms of you know kind of how you're performing I, I, don't, I don't think you quite want to do that and there's a little bit of pressure on Georgia tomorrow to play well from the jump from the get-go in the first half of this game and what Terrence says perhaps is true that the moment that gives this team the confidence they can do that and not just play well in the first half tomorrow but play well in the first half moving forward the moment that gives this team the confidence to do that was that second half against South Carolina and the point that Terrence is making is maybe bolstered by the fact that, hey, we made a big deal yesterday about the back wink, the you know the, the the deal he gave to the SEC network camera during the really cool viral video that we've all had so much fun talking about. You know, maybe that cool, calm, collected presence in the locker room, maybe that's a little bit of an indication of how Beck is also feeling while he's on the field now moving forward too. Jake Fromm told us earlier this week that, that Georgia, I think, is trying, or Fromm would say he thinks is trying to give Beck some opportunities for success, allow him to go out there and just sort of play free and easy and comfortable, not robotic like Justin Fields uh, said this week that he is for the Chicago Bears. And so perhaps all of this is on full display tomorrow. A Georgia offense perhaps five on all cylinders for the first time here this year now the final reason which I think this game against UAB is going to be really fun to watch on Saturday and kind of a must see if you're a Georgia fan is is it does give us our last glimpse before things become much different for Georgia next Saturday uh, I have my eye on Auburn and Texas A&M here this week I, I've said even though the evidence might suggest otherwise, I believe Auburn can win this game outright. I, I definitely think they're going to keep it closer than the experts think uh, against Texas A&M, and I believe they could take the next step and actually win the game. Whether Auburn does or doesn't, though, it is a big-time environment next week, a very, very challenging situation for any Georgia team going on the road like this. We've seen Georgia not play particularly well here in Jordan-Hare Stadium in the past. Let's be honest about that. And so now you've got a brand-new starting quarterback, or now he's newish. He'll be you know, a third of the way through the regular season here this year after Saturday, as hard as that is to imagine. you got a newish Georgia team, some guys still kind of working their way into some sort of new roles here. And next week, they're on the road in the SEC. This is your last chance to get ready for that. This is your last chance to make sure you're as buttoned up and polished as you can be for the real challenge of a tough road environment in the SEC next Saturday. In fact, earlier this week, Kirby Smart talked about in kind of tangible, specific terms, just how challenging playing on the road in the SEC can be for any team, his team included. This is what Smart said about that. It's a major deal. I mean, I study it hard, and, and it's amazing to me the team that's on the road, the number of times it impacts third and fourth down. It's incredible. Uh, and you try like hell to avoid those, but we, we haven't played in that environment. I don't think some coaches acknowledge that it's six penalty advantage to play uh, at home in the SEC, possibly. I mean, it's, it's come out that way for us because teams have come here and gotten probably five, six more penalties on average. And you, you got to try to find a way to avoid that when you go on the road. That is real. That is matter of fact. That is straight to the point from Kirby Smart. It's the kind of thing that the Georgia team right now obviously is considering. And so it wants the highest level of confidence it can have going into that environment at Auburn next Saturday. 
than the UAB game between the hedges this Saturday night where the environment is in favor of Georgia, that's the last chance to build that confidence. I believe that Georgia will. Zion Logue speaks to the Georgia defense saying this team is frothing at the mouth to go out there and correct any kind of misperception that might exist, that this still isn't the very best defense in the country. Former Georgia great Terrence Edwards says that he believes that Carson Beck had his breakout moment in the second half last week, the continuation of that breakout, full momentum on display on Saturday night. Georgia ready to pile up points early against UAB. I hope you're as excited for this as I am. It's a really, really cool snapshot after a few weeks of seeing some good from Georgia and some stuff we didn't love quite as much. Now it's our chance to see how Georgia puts it all together. And the last dress rehearsal, the last kind of uh, practice game, if you will, the last kind of moment of preparation before the real test begin. And I believe tomorrow night, Georgia's going to show that it's more than ready for what comes next. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Kroger, and we are happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us, video across all platforms, including our first and 15 at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app, starting at 9.45 or 10 a.m. live everywhere else. Radio, of course, on 960 The Ref, that's in Athens, and podcasts all across the fruited plain of podcast platforms. Just really happy to have you with us and being a part of our program today. Also, a big thanks to our friends at Kroger for making today's show possible there as well. And boy, there's some fun stuff happening with our friends from Kroger right now. How about Kroger Chef Jr. taking place at select Kroger locations? That's tomorrow. And it's a really cool menu item this month because when you do Kroger Chef Jr. with your kids, it's a guided kids cooking experience. So they get a chance to be a part of the food preparation process. And this month, the item being made is a pepperoni pizza salad, which is kind of a cool thing. So tomorrow, it's select Kroger location. You get a chance to be a part of that. It's just $7 per child. It's a 30-minute class. And in addition to getting a chance to make the the pepperoni pizza salad together, you also get a chance to see your child get an apron, a patch, a chef's hat, and a cutting board. So some kind of cool stuff there, too. Once again, just $7 per child. So please make sure you check out KrogerChefJr.com for more on that. The word junior spelled at J-U-N. I-O-R, KrogerChefJr.com for more on that today. All right, coming up here in a moment, we're going to talk to Jeff Sintel, some UGA recruiting talk. That's going to be really cool. In fact, in just a second, I'll set up something we're going to discuss with Jeff, and I'll do that as a part of Around the Doghouse, poured today by our friends at the Finish Long Drink. And before I get to the recruiting note, let me also give you something that Georgia fans have been having a strong reaction to. Now, I believe I know what this is. And I, I think it's funny. It's probably not meant to be taken at face value, but a lot of Georgia fans have been reacting to a post from the Georgia Football Equipment account. Now, this is an official account, uh, you know, connected to the University of Georgia, but it's also an account that has kind of shown a little bit of a propensity in the past for a little bit of like deadpan fun at the expense of Georgia fans in a kind of a good nature way. They're not intentionally trolling Georgia. They just sort of know what they're doing. They've kind of done this sort of thing before. So a lot of Georgia fans are talking about a video that the football equipment account put out of the purpose of the video is they're basically like counting the pants. And I think the video is done in as boring a way as it possibly can be of like, Okay, so we sort these uh, here. I'm not going to play the full video for you, but I'll put a link to it later on. You can watch it for yourself. We sort these pants here. We do it by position. And it's basically like the most like mundane, like sort of recitation of the pregame process for the football equipment people. But the punchline of the joke is 
as the football equipment folks are talking about sorting the pants for game day let me show you this on the screen here this is a screenshot from the video so you see on the table in the foreground if you're watching on video the folks working they're folding pants and they're doing that and then off in the background you see some lockers and when you zoom in those lockers what you realize is it's the black jerseys like hanging in the locker which to some people is taken as a possible foreshadowing of ooh, could Georgia wear the black jerseys at night against UAB on Saturday I think the UGA football equipment account knows what it's doing here I think it's trying to be funny and I think it succeeds this is to me very funny this is kind of a cool funny punchline I don't believe it's meant to be uh, a little bit of a hint or a tip off that they're wearing the black I think this account has kind of done that before and I don't mind when they do because I think funny social media content certainly a welcome addition to most of our lives here I think this is pretty funny I like seeing Georgia fans have fun with this but I don't think it means the dogs were in the black jerseys on Saturday. And I guess I will say that if and when Georgia does wear an alternate uniform again, I sort of hope it would kind of happen like this. In other words, I don't know that many Georgia fans want the calling for a blackout, right? We're going to make a big environment, blackout. Fans are all going to wear black. Georgia going to wear black jerseys. I don't know that's the right way to do it. There's a weird backstory, as you know, involving georgia and these alternate jersey uniforms and most of this i think has been overstated i think some of this has been kind of logic misapplied but it exists nonetheless so therefore there's a little bit of a of a level of friction about georgia wearing something other than its traditional uniforms that some programs don't have fairly or not so i think if georgia ever wants that to go away it's got to normalize i think wearing alternate uniforms more frequently now i say this is a pretty staunch traditionalist my preference for every team in sports is that you got two uniforms, a home uniform and a road uniform. That's all you ever wear. That's my kind of preference as a staunch traditionalist. But admittedly, some of the stuff, whether it be like the the kind of fantasy uniform concoctions that you see online or the stuff that the recruits wear, admittedly, I'm kind of softening my stance here in my, you know, I don't want to say old age, but I'll use air quotes around old age. I'm kind of softening my stance a little bit on the idea of alternate uniforms because some of the stuff that I see is actually kind of cool. And then sometimes my own head when I'm just sort of bored or daydreaming, I'll kind of start trying to like imagine myself of what would it look like if Georgia wore all gray and had the whatever. Like, you know, it's like even I sort of start doing some of that kind of stuff, you know, here right now. So I'm a little bit softer edged about wearing alternate uniforms. If Georgia came out in black jersey tomorrow night, I'd be thrilled. I'd be happy about it. Uh, I don't want a ton of fanfare around it. I don't want blackout necessarily or anything that kind of could be construed as a level of motivation for Georgia because obviously that's not what uniforms should be or, or even are. Uh, but it can be kind of a cool fashion statement. It could be fun. Weather won't be super hot. It's a night game. The atmosphere seems perfect to wear them. I don't believe George is going to, and I believe the UGA football equipment account is just trying to have a little fun with this. I'll also mention this here really quickly there as well. So today, and by the way, I'm broadcasting here. It's almost uh, 1030 in the morning. So we're inside of two hours away from what could be a commitment announcement for a prime Georgia target for the class of 2025. It's a tight end named Ethan Barbour out of Alpharetta High School. I'll show you his list of finalists here on the uh, screen. So he's choosing between Alabama and Auburn, Georgia, Ohio State, and South Carolina. Dogs, of course, already have Elias Williams committed for the class of 2025. But you know, Tard Hartley likes to work in pairs here. And Barbour is a guy that I've seen a good bit, had a chance to interact with a little bit. I like him as a player. I like him as a person, at least based on the interactions that I have. He's going to make his announcement today around, I think it's 1215. I think he's getting ready to make his announcement. Uh, this is a guy I'd love to see, you know, here at 
the University of Georgia, 6'3", 230 already. I kind of think of Barbour as a little bit more of a traditional tight end in comparison to the kind of hybrid, you know, modified H-style tight end you see in, in other places. I think that Barbour is a little bit more of a classic tight end in my mind. But I think he's a. I think he'd be a nice add here to this Georgia class in 2025. And so when Jeff Sintel joins us in a minute, we're going to talk more about this, the possibility that Georgia could add to its uh, next recruiting class before this day is done. And what it's worth, we saw Barbour at the Ball State game. He was at the UT Martin game. So he's had plenty of Georgia visits as of late as a little bit of a harbinger for the decision that he might make here coming up this afternoon. And that is around the doghouse. It's poured today by our friends at the Finish Long Green. And of course, you're in the Peach State. We got all kinds of great high school football recruits, and we love celebrating them all. But something else in the Peach State we love celebrating right now is the peach flavored version of the Finish Long Drink. It's the newest version of this ready to drink cocktail, a really cool category of beverage. I think a lot of y'all are having a lot of fun with. And I don't think anybody does this style of drink better than our friends at the Finish Long Drink. Because if you like mixed drinks, this is a mixed drink that you don't have to mix yourself. It kind of comes in a can already. And so a lot of folks, when you see somebody holding the can, you may think it's a beer because you're used to beer coming in a can. But this is a mixed drink in a can, or as we call it, a ready-to-drink cocktail. So we want you to try to seek out and find this peach-flavored version of the Finish Long Drink because we think you're going to enjoy it. But if you don't have a chance to do that, any of the other versions of the finished long drink goes great for you, too. The traditional, that's a blue can. Got the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. Long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. The long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. There's a cranberry version of the finished long drink. People love that. A lot of the folks in my neighborhood especially love that. Pool parties, things like that. The finished long drink, always very popular. And it's a great uh, choice for your tailgating needs heading towards the weekend there, too. So find them online thelongdrink.com thelongdrink.com you can pick yourself up some finished long drink here for the weekend including the peach flavored version of the finished long drink available for a limited time right here in the peach state all right so commitment watch possibly for ethan barbour a lot of visitors to georgia last week uh, a lot of movement and activity here for georgia on both classes 2024 and 2025 and a chance to see the most prized recruit of all for the class of 2024 with me on tv tonight let's cover all of that with jeff Sintel here today on dog nation daily presented by kroger from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider let us say hello jeff Sintel here on dog nation daily presented by kroger a lot of recruiting information to get into with jeff today and we're happy to do it all including the possibility that by shortly after the time our live show is done and prior to the moment in which a lot of our podcast audience will have and even most of our video audience frankly will have consumed this show georgia could have added a member to its 2025 class the tight end ethan barbour ethan of course has visited georgia to a couple of games already here this season so his toddy georgia seems to be pretty strong todd hartley typically gets who he wants when it comes to this position georgia's already got a tight end committed for the class of 2025 but having barbour to pair with him would certainly be a, a nice thought when you think about elias williams what he brings to the table our state right now incredibly deep when it comes to tight ends so jeff that's kind of the backdrop here for the bar board decision a little bit later on today how do you think this one shakes out and maybe a better question what should georgia fans know about the guy ethan barbour who's getting ready to make his choice yeah guys good morning uh, happy friday i think there's two statements i could make that would pretty much nutshell 
what you're looking at here with Ethan Barbour. I tell you what, let's do this. Let's put Jeff on hold. Let's see if we can get a better signal for Jeff. It sounds like uh, some folks have a little bit of a hard time hearing what he's saying today. So let's see if we can get that squared away. And while we're waiting on that, Michael, I'll let you help me out with that. While we're waiting on that, I'll kind of follow up on Jeff's saying there because I do think that's really good information is that I believe Barbour is already listed around 230 pounds right now. And the willing blocker, obviously tight ends love to catch the football, right? That's one of the reasons they play tight end because they want to be involved in the offense. And Georgia certainly recruited plenty of tight ends who felt very strongly about that. And yet in a time in which, and I've kind of touched on this, but a time in which it seems like the athletic tight end is so fashionable right now, especially when it comes to Georgia high school football. A lot of these top teams have the very athletic tight end on display I think that Barbour, why he's not certainly shying away from any kind of level of athleticism for a player his size, is a guy that I think kind of has the potential to be a little bit more of a traditional tight end. Jeff, is that kind of, you know, to follow up on what you're saying about the willingness of him as a blocker, the the desire, the, the request to be a blocker for the running game, do you see Barbour as a little bit more of the traditional uh, attached tight end at the line of scrimmage as opposed to some of the less traditional, more, you know, uh, hybrid-style receivers that Georgia oftentimes recruit this position? Is that the best way to evaluate what Barbour is, a little bit more traditional from that spot? Yeah, pretty much dead on. I think he's an all-around tight end. He's a guy that's not going to have any deficiencies in his game. Or Brandon, you and I both know we've said this on your program a lot. Sometimes Georgia gets this big guy that really hasn't been a tight end yet. He's just got the skills and the body type to put on 30 pounds. And he looks more like a Jimmy Graham in high school than he does a, a Brock Bowers, per se. And I think Barber's a guy that could fit that mold. You know, like, I think the story I was trying to tell is some – some playmakers that have the ball in their hands that can make a lot of plays, uh, they come over the sidelines and say, give me the ball. Well, Ethan Barboris came over the sidelines and said, give me a block. Like he wanted to block his guy. He wanted to get physical. He wanted to bang on the defense in the run game. And you have that, and you have the other component there with Ethan Barbour, which is an incredible education level. Like his, his mother works for Merrill Lynch in the financial sector. He has a sister that's at Vanderbilt. He was almost a valedictorian. And then his father, Eric, uh, he served in the military, and yet he also has an MBA from Duke. So you're looking at a prospect here that you're going to look down the things about what you want to see in a tight end, and Ethan Barbour is going to check every single one. There won't be on any on-the-job training. Um, blocking on the perimeter run game when it comes to Ethan Barbour at the college level. A much better signal, Jeff. I appreciate that. A, a story that you wrote at Dog Nation this week that I thought was really interesting involves uh, Joseph Jonah Johnny, Justin Williams, two high school teammates from Texas who've been in Georgia recently, kind of hanging out with Dylan Riola. And I love the bond that these guys seem to be forming with each other. Now, first of all, I like Jonah Johnny and Williams' players who wouldn't. But in a day and age which Georgia recruits more nationally, a lot of the top programs are just national recruiters these days. Georgia's obviously uh, very much in that mold. You know, you kind of wonder, well, is it more difficult for recruits to get to know each other and feel like they have friendships with each other, given the fact that in many cases they may live hundreds of miles apart? But it sounds like Riola and uh, important players on defense like Williams and Jonah Janye, it sounds like they have developed a pretty good bond here, which I do think speaks to the – possible connection to this 2024 class and given the fact that georgia put so much value on connection the speed with which these guys might acclimate themselves into uga's culture given the fact they've already formed what looks to be a pretty nice tight-knit culture amongst themselves already brendan you know that i'm sure everyone saw the sec network special where they were behind the scenes with georgia game day at south carolina 
You remember the extended version of that trailer that showed up on social media? Not just the Kirby part, but the part with like Cedric Von Prahn and yeah. Javon Bullard speaking to the team beforehand. You want to have a player-led team, and you already see things like this with this class. Raiola had done his more than done his yeoman's work on the recruiting trail, recruiting Jonah Johnye and Williams to Georgia. That was even back when he was in Arizona. But you see this, and the way it just came together, it feels so organic and authentic. Uh, Joseph Jonah Johnny and Justin Williams last week were on the bye for Oak Ridge High School. They came into Georgia early because they wanted to go to the South Carolina game. They were in Georgia. I think their flight got in at like 3 o'clock, uh, 2 o'clock in Atlanta. And uh, Dylan invited them to say, hey, come, come watch us play. Come watch Buford play. And their families, they showed up at the Buford game. Uh, they were there to support Dylan Riola. Um, and you saw the families interact after the game. I mean, first of all, somebody got word that two five-star Georgia commits were in the house at Buford, and all of a sudden Williams and Jonah Johnye had an autograph line where they were signing everything under the sun in the third quarter. But when the game was over, they, they took pictures. They were talking to each other. You saw, like, the way the parents and the families interacted with Riola. They really appreciate this young man for everything he is besides spinning a football 70 yards and layering the ball over defenses in a way that we don't see a lot of golden boy five-star quarterbacks do. They just wanted to build the bond. They wanted to start to support one another and get that chemistry going before they got to Athens. And you love to see that, especially for two guys in uh, Justin Williams and Jonah Johnye, who had never, ever been to Stanford for a game day before. And they came away mesmerized by Stanford, as they should have. So I'm excited about tonight, because you mentioned Dylan Riola. We get a chance to broadcast him on Peachtree TV, something I'm very much looking forward to, both because I'm excited about being you know, on hand with him, but also I'm looking forward to kind of showcasing him for Georgia fans. And it seems like, Jeb, and I know you've seen Riola in person a couple of times already this season, it seems like he's settling in pretty well. There's the Buford quarterback here in the state of Georgia. Those stats that some folks had asked some questions about early in the season, seems like that stat line is kind of rounding into a little bit more of the form we kind of expected it to have. And for those folks who maybe haven't had the pleasure and the privilege that you've already had of seeing Riola in person a couple of times, and they're planning on tuning into Peachtree TV, which certainly I appreciate if they will do, what will they see from Riola tonight on television as Buford gets ready to take on Marietta? Yeah, Brandon, I, I'm happy for you, man. Uh, not only do you get to see a Georgia commitment live and call the game, but you get to see the one with the highest Q rating. It was unfortunate that I saw this week that one service had dropped Rayola down to a four-star when I think what they're doing there uh, is that they, they just don't see the elite movement trait uh, that maybe other guys do have in terms of Rayola. And all he's done this year on the field, Brandon, is move around. Like, you need to get your nifty, syrupy scramble calls uh, lined up and together like ducks in a row for tonight because – He's really shown me a lot with throwing on the move, with having to adjust under fire, getting rid of the ball quickly. He's picked up the Buford offense well. There's a lot of heartwarming, feel-good stories I could tell you about Riola, what Riola does behind the scenes, Wednesday night, Sunday night, on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. Um, he's, he's at the field at Buford High School working out at like 5, 6 a.m. When the coaches come into the, come into the parking lot ready for another day of work, they see Riola coming off the practice field dripped in sweat with his boombox that he'd been working out with his younger brother, working on those agility, working on those movement skills. And whatever you want to say, this is kind of the, 
the signature recruit of the class. He's still the number one overall recruit for a couple of services. I think the composite still has him now as the number four overall player in the country. I think Ryle is, a, is, a, is an anchor piece. I think he's a franchise piece for any class, a centerpiece, and not only for how well he spins the ball. Uh, Brennan, you'll, you'll marvel seeing it live, how he can just push the ball 40, 50 yards, and it doesn't look like he's, he's got any strain to that at all. But the way he celebrates with his team, the way he does the little things, um, even stuff that the cameras won't catch, that's the stuff I look for, and that's the stuff where Dylan Raiola needs to be rated as highly in the country as anybody for all those little things he does as a football player to make the team better. Yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff matters to me, right? I mean, I think it's been an interesting test that Raiola's had to pass this year, and the sense that I get from being around Buford a little bit this week is is that Raiola's passed this test well of – you step onto a program culture at Buford that expects to win a state championship. They're a nationally ranked team. Now, Dylan himself is a nationally ranked recruit, but Buford as a program already has a lot going for it. There are a lot of alpha dog type players within that program. And how you become a part of that culture, how you get accepted into that, I think is a little bit of a challenge for a quarterback because, you know, quarterbacks especially have to, you know, form a bond with their teammates. We've seen examples of some pretty big time college ball teams here this year. You see the quarterback get sacked, and guess what? Nobody's walking over there to pick him up. Nobody's walking over there to help him dust himself off. There's dissension and has been on the field with some of the uh, top teams, at least a top team that I can think of here right now in college ball this year about who played quarterback, at least for one game anyway. I'll let people figure out who I'm talking about. But in the case of Iola, the sense that I get from the stuff that you've reported, from having a chance to kind of be around a little bit myself, and what I believe we'll be able to show you on TV tonight is, is that Raiola, ahead of next year, when he has to try to do all of this at Georgia, which is an entirely different challenge, has seemingly ingrained himself pretty well in this very talented Buford program's culture. And I think that kind of speaks pretty well for his ability to travel across country and just make fast friends, which, you know, quarterbacks need to be popular. And it seems like Dylan's done a pretty good job of doing that. Yeah, Brandon, next time you – I would encourage folks to watch a game, whether it's college level or high school player. Watch when they make a big play. Watch when they catch a touchdown. Watch and see how many of the teammates come and celebrate with the guy or whether the young man has to trot over to the sideline mostly by himself. I think the one thing we need to make sure we say here about Riola is this was a check mark for him as well. This was a – because let's face it, Brandon, the concerns on Riola, if there were any coming into the season, were how would he adjust to big boy Georgia football? How is that different than Arizona football? How is that different than the Texas high school football he played as a sophomore? And the other thing is there's a, there is a steep learning curve where basically he shows up at Buford in mid-July and has to learn an offense, has to win a job, has to take the reins of a team that I think, Brandon, by my last count, there's 11 or 12 guys that either have a Georgia offer or will have a Georgia offer on that team, much less commitments to other schools like North Carolina, Michigan. I can go on and on, but that's a loaded program. It's one of the prestige programs in the state of Georgia. And for him to not only swim and keep his head above water, but right now he's doing the 200-meter individual medley with all the things he does for Buford, I think that says a lot. I think it does there as well. Another story you had this week at DogNation.com involves, you know, guys who were at Athens the last week for the uh, big game against South Carolina. One of those, a guy we talked about in our show last week, Makai Boro, the, uh, I think, outstanding uh, nose man from Creekside, who I believe is a prime Georgia target here right now. 
based on what he told you sounds like he really enjoyed the experience in Athens there last week so let me use him as a peg to kind of broaden it all out what's your sense of the response that Georgia fans or not say Georgia fans but the Georgia recruits gave to being around the Georgia fans and the environment in place for the game against South Carolina how do you think that was received last week from guys like Boro and others who were there yeah, they kind of they kind of basically were amazed by it, Brandon, and they gushed about it. And it's kind of funny. They all said like it's sort of the same things we heard from the Tennessee game last year. How when it started raining, the fans got louder. It got more exciting. It got more fun. Somehow the ponchos added uh, a lot of interest to it. But you know, on, on if you had to compare the two, I would say that environment that that atmosphere for Carolina was probably like maybe a seven or an eight in that same rain environment where Tennessee was a 9 or 10. But the recruits that were on hand, they still loved it. They were still impressed. They couldn't get back, couldn't wait to get to Athens and play. Um, I think with Makai Barrow, you see a guy that, I'll be honest, Brandon, there's three players left in the class that I would probably track and say major targets at this time. One of those is uh, Aiden Breland. He was there as well. He was kind of taken in by Stanford again when he was just at Georgia for G-Day back in April. Uh, I think he's the primary remaining target for Georgia in this class. I think Florida is doing a great job with LJ McCray, um, who's gotten a five-star ranking from on3.com over the last week. And then there's Makai Barrow. And Makai told me he was watching the game, and Kirby Smart told him beforehand, told him at the game that he needs somebody like him. He needs a big anchor in the middle because, frankly, Brennan, you think of guys like John Atkins for Georgia or Terrence Cody for Alabama or Jordan Davis and maybe Jamal Jamal Jarrett now he's just a freshman at Georgia learning his way but there's not a lot of six foot five 365 pound humans on this earth especially that play football especially that can move as well as a Makai Barrow did I remember hearing a story where Florida came in and they already really liked him but then they saw him in practice and they basically treated him like Aaron Donald 2.0 with how hard they recruited him. And that's how they initially won the commitment from Makai Barrow. And he told me he basically made a commitment to get the commitment process to stop. He wanted all the attention and all the calls and all the pitches to slow down. That's why he made his commitment in the first place. There was a really big question that uh, Trey Scott asked Makai Barrow after his visit. He says, can you see yourself at Georgia? Can you see yourself there? And one of the things Makai told me is he looked out on the field, he saw great Georgia players playing defensive line but they didn't he didn't see a big anchor like he is he didn't see that body type like he is and he told Travion Scott he could see himself at Georgia I asked him that question this week point blank I was like you had a couple of days to think about it can you really see yourself thriving at Georgia and he said he could and he said he knows Kirby Smart's program has what he needs to take him to the next level that all sounds very encouraging he's also going to take visits to Auburn maybe Ole Miss likely Michigan and he's going to make his final decision public on early signing day in December he's going to take this one a lot slower but what Georgia did by getting that first visit out of the box they were already the number two school in his recruitment over the summer I think Georgia's in a good spot right now with Macabro I want to finish with this you're about Juan Gaston this week out of Westlake good offensive lineman and it gives me a chance to reiterate something I believe we also talked about last week, that the 2025 class for Georgia is going to be important here in-state. It's a real opportunity to win with some big-time, big in-state guys in a way that maybe last couple of years Georgia hasn't always done. Now, the Georgia recruiting apparatus is fine. It's been great. It's been elite. But it's an opportunity that exists for Georgia in-state here this year 
or I should say for the following cycle. And it's line of scrimmage guys in particular that I think are going to be so important here. You know, the Juan Gastons who you wrote about. You may put Josh Petty in that category. You may put Cortez Smith in that category out of Parkview. Justice Terry, who's already committed. Elijah Griffin, who probably is going to be the guy we end up talking the most about, I would say, if I had to predict, over the 12, next 12 months. Griffin's probably the guy we end up talking the most about here in this space when it comes to UGA recruiting. Jeff, your story about Gaston, that's what it makes me think of, is, is that not only is the 2025 class going to be important for Georgia in-state, it's the line of scrimmage. Both lines, offensive and defensive line, where I think is that's going to be really, I think, a real focal point of what this next cycle is going to look like. Do you agree with that? And I guess, how do you think Gaston fits into all of that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with that, Brennan, when we're talking about this in 2027. I think the way you win football games is with the big athletic men up front that can move. Uh, I've always going to subscribe to the theory that the most important players on the field are, is number one the quarterback, number two is the defensive lineman that affect the quarterback, and number three are the offensive linemen that protect the quarterback. And Georgia makes no bones that that's where they want to make their hay on in the FCC physical league. It's still a run game lead when run game league when you need to win a game in the fourth quarter. And I think Georgia, what they're doing there, it's kind of intriguing. You see Gaston. One of the things that caught my eye that I knew people would like to see is Gaston whose dad played basketball at Georgia Tech when Tech really had some strong teams in the 90s in basketball. And he's 6'8", he's 335, Brennan. And he's the type of player that you walk out on a field, you can see him from like 50, 60 yards away. 6'8", 335, just looks like that. But then this week when I walked up on him, I saw him initially working out with a lineman, but eventually I'm looking at him and he's with a kick team and he's with a kicking coach and he's kicking extra points and field goals. And I'm like, literally, like, pick the metaphor. I'm like, great googly moogly, what's going on there? 6'8", 335, and he's not even doing the straight-up Steve Crumley-type kicking that old dog fans will remember, but he's doing that adjacent kicking when he steps to the side and then he comes through and he swings the leg. And he was making a lot of his extra points. Turns out they have a depth issue at kicker at Westlake where there's an injury and they don't know who they're going to turn to. So before the Southwest DeKalb game early this year, Brandon, he just walks up and says, hey, man, I can kick. Let me do it. And he booms a 40-yarder in pregame warm-ups to say, yeah, yeah, I can do it. And, you know, Brandon, you see all these kids with their the soccer players that kick, and they've got their special kicking shoes. And Juan Gaston's got his big old boy size 16 battleships, and he starts cranking out 40-yarders and kicking extra points in practice. I'm just saying this. I don't see six foot eight, three thirty five doing that on a field ever. It shows you he's got his daddy's feet, basketball player. He's a real athlete. I saw him post practice conditioning, Brandon, after he ran up the whole day during practice in full pads. He went to one sideline and back and then back again. He did it in about forty five seconds. He led the bigs. He did it again. He did it in about forty seven seconds. He led the bigs. And this is the biggest man on the field. He's also the kicker who's also a top-10 offensive tackle prospect in the country. I think it's intriguing. You see on3.com. Uh, they actually have, have rated uh, Gaston as a tackle. I guess their evaluators there see him maybe in the Xavier Trust mode early in his college career, and you can see that a little bit. But I see a young man that's massive. If you want to find a body type that can fill the Amarius Mims locker uh, down the road at Georgia, 
I think Juan Gaston would be an ideal candidate for that. Jeff, great stuff. Can't wait to see you between the hedges tomorrow in Athens. Appreciate your time here today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger very soon. Hey, man, have yourself a good weekend, and enjoy the call tonight with Ryle and the Wolves. Thank you, Jeff. Looking forward to it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, we have a lot to do for our SEC Through as we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So I want to jump right to it. And by the way, speaking of Royal Caribbean, I hope you'll jump right into a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation opportunity here as we head towards holidays in 2023 or early 2024 there as well. There is so much fun stuff on tap. Three big announcements as far as it relates to 2024. Debut of Icon of the Season January, largest cruise ship ever constructed. That's going to be amazing. But timed perfectly for the debut of icon of the seas also some brand new improvements if it could have even been improved upon when it comes to perfect day coco k kind of expanding creating more opportunities fun things the experience when you think about perfect day coco k is just unlike anything else and so when you're on a brand new cruise ship like icon of the seas you also get a brand new experience as it relates to perfect day coco k too every single thing that royal royal caribbean can do make all of this bigger and better it just seems like they're finding new ways to do that all the time which is really really cool and don't forget as well think about new ships about the debut in july of 2024 of utopia of the seas it's an oasis class ship the newest in the oasis class of vessels and it's going to be sailing out of port canaveral three and four night sailing so for those of you that maybe say uh, the seven night cruise doesn't really match my schedule right now i like the weekend cruises or the cruises that are a little shorter less than a week guess what you get a chance in 2024 to leave out of port canaveral the most convenient port to us and you get a chance to do that on, on a very very large and a brand new ship utopia of the seas what a fun experience that's going to be jessica slater can help you with all this great travel agent give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 also email her if you want to jslater at dreamvacations.com all right here's what we're going to do we're going to roll through all of the big games and kind of what I'm kind of bringing back as the showdown Saturday type vernacular that we have maybe used in the past. I want to roll through all of these. I like Oregon over Colorado on Saturday. Big spread in this game in excess of three touchdowns. But here's what it comes down to for me. As fun as Colorado has been thus far, and they have been a blast to watch. You can't deny that, nor can you deny the way in which the college football world has been transfixed by them. They're getting massive, massive television ratings week after week. This game against Oregon is going to be no different. And they have been thrilling in the way they've been winning these games, including last week against Colorado State. But the issue you run into here is an Oregon team that, from a talent perspective, is just a very different animal than anything that Colorado's faced thus far this season. And who knows that more than anybody else? Deion Sanders. There's been none of this, oh, this is personal for us. And, you know, there, there's been very little fanfare from Deion this week talked about the respect that he had uh, for Oregon there was some chatter this week about whether or not he knew Dan Lanning's name or not I don't know that he does or he does and he certainly didn't mention Lanning by name but uh, had respect for the Oregon team so I think that Dion knows with what Oregon's capable of doing on defense with the Lanning defense they could be in some trouble keep this in mind for all the great stuff that Shador Sanders is doing right now, he, Oregon's, I should say, Colorado's also last in the nation in terms of sack yards allowed. They're 130th out of 133 teams in total number of sacks allowed. This is not a good offensive line. They can't run the ball at all, and Shador Sanders, at the rate they're currently going, is not going to finish the season. I don't say, say that with any great pleasure because I love watching Shador Sanders play, but you can't get sacked as much as Shador's getting sacked and survive a year at the, at the rate this is going. 
the inability to block up front is going to doom them against Oregon. Plus, two other things. I think Oregon likes the platform provided to them by Colorado. I think they use it to their advantage. In other words, they're going to soak in some of this national attention. And this won't be talked about publicly, but privately it's true. If coaches have a chance to tack on the extra score on Dion, they're going to do it. Dion has cultivated a lot of attention, and right now he's making coaching look easy. That's an insult to men who've devoted their life to this profession because it's not easy for anybody. And if they have a chance to make it seem not quite so easy for Dion this year, they're going to do it, whether they're whether that's fair or not. That's the way that it plays out. I like Oregon, and I like them big against Colorado on Saturday. The big national game is Notre Dame against Ohio State. My pick here is Ohio State. Some of this is on the basis of a hunch. The hunch here built on the idea that a couple of the wins for Notre Dame this year, perhaps if you dig a little deeper, not quite as impressive as they look. Notre Dame blew out Navy week zero. Most of us watched that because it was the only game on at the time. You obviously know, though, this isn't your father's Navy team anymore. They don't even really run the option quite as well as they used to. They're just not nearly as good a football team. Very small. Notre Dame pushed them around all day long. Navy's also lost again since then to Memphis. So blowing out Navy, not as big a deal maybe as it would have been years ago. Plus the game against NC State where Notre Dame also seemed to assert itself a little bit. You know, that kind of comes in a situation where you watch that game a little closer. I don't know that the actual per play story was as dominant as the final score perhaps looked there on that. The one thing that gives me pause about this is the one thing that Notre Dame is doing better than you might realize, they're running the football right now. Audrick Estime is a name that's probably currently a little bit less famous than Sam Hartman, the transfer quarterback. But if I'm wrong and Notre Dame pulls the slight upset at home on Saturday night, it's the presence of the Notre Dame running game. It's the presence of Estime in particular that probably makes that happen. Ultimately, though, my expectation is that Ohio State wins here and then emerges from the first four weeks of the season as now the most hyped team in the sport, more so than probably Texas has been or Florida State upon beating uh, LSU or even Colorado through all the things that have gone on over there. The team that's going to be lauded and praised the most after this weekend, I believe, will end up being Ohio State. Now, is that well-earned or is it just the kind of thing we do because of a big win in a primetime moment that everybody's watching? We'll have to see about that. But I do expect Saturday night to be a pretty good one for Ohio State. I expect Kyle McCord to kind of assert himself as the Ohio State quarterback. Is he as good as C.J. Stroud was a year ago? The suspicions we have right now, probably not. But are the Ohio State receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, you know, included, are they as good as ever? They certainly are. And that's probably a difference in this game. Fun one, though, on tap with Ohio State and Notre Dame. Moving on, Alabama and Ole Miss. I don't have some sort of like really keen, brilliant handicap on this. It simply to me comes down to this. Lane Kiffin right now is not behaving like a coach who thinks he's going to win. Oftentimes, the oldest and dirtiest trick in the book is you talk trash before a game when you don't think you're going to have the opportunity to talk trash after a game. Lane Kiffin is seemingly addicted to attention and cultivating uh, attention. And so this week, he's been out there talking a lot, stirring it up about who's calling the plays for Alabama defensively between Kevin Steele and Tavares Robinson. And I suspect that Kiffin's probably right about that. I don't believe he just make this up out of whole cloth. I suspect he's probably right. But it's the kind of weird peripheral issue kind of uh, sidebar type thing that you only get into when you don't love how your team is perhaps going to perform on the field plus there was also the taylor swift lyric on social media which was sort of taken as a as a, a gesture that alabama's castle might be tumbling or falling down or whatever the, the, the swift lyric is 
This is the kind of thing that a serious-minded coach just doesn't do, and I don't think of Lane Kiffin as a serious man. Uh, I don't think he thinks he can win. That's why he's making all these jokes and joking gestures prior to the game. Alabama is now back to Jalen Milrow. The most interesting team off the field all year long has been the Crimson Tide, and not for good reasons. Nick Saban embarrassed himself when he tried to, this week, make the case that the reason why they did not start Milrow against South Florida was because they had promised playing time to both Ty Simpson and to uh, Tyler Buckner. This isn't Little League left field. Not everybody gets a turn to be the Alabama quarterback. Obviously, Nick Saban knows that. He was lying to all of us when he said what he said. But Milrow is back inserted, probably should have been the starting quarterback the entire time. He's not good, but he's the best they have. They will run with him. They will throw deep because those are the two things that he can do. He can't throw intermediate routes at all. Alabama would be better off not even trying them. But running quarterback, throwing deep occasionally, that's enough to beat Ole Miss. Alabama will win. I don't know what that means for them the rest of the season. Keep in mind, their adjusted win total right now is now just eight and a half, depending on which sports book you might be looking at. So this is an Alabama team that would seem to be in the midst of a bit of a free fall here, but I don't think that's going to happen on Saturday. I believe Alabama wins. The line has been about a touchdown. I think they will cover that. Auburn and Texas A&M, we've talked about that a lot this week, just from the perspective of it is who Georgia plays next week, and I stand by what I've been saying. I believe this is a football game that Auburn can win. I think it will at least be closer than the experts think, if not an outright Auburn win. The thing that will give you some pause here is the fact that the quarterback advantage is clearly on the side of Texas A&M. I don't love their offense. I don't know that Bobby Petrino has gotten the freedom yet to do what he wants to do, but Connor Wegman is a good quarterback. He's clearly better than the Peyton Thorne, Robbie Ashford combination, whatever that ends up being for Auburn. But the Tigers also this past offseason went out to the transfer portal and they brought in a lot more than just Thorne. They got some veteran players from the portal and this is the kind of game where I think those players can make a difference. Here's the other thing too. And I know a lot of people don't like Hugh Freeze. They think of him as, well, they think of him as a lot of things to be honest with you. But the sense that I'm getting coming out of the planes right now is, is it seems like this team is bonding around Freeze pretty well. And it seems like the opinion that people have of Freeze when they're working with him with the football team, perhaps a little bit different than the caricature that gets drawn of him, sometimes for the right reasons because of some bad stuff that Hugh is alleged to have done in his past. But it seems like this Auburn team right now is kind of rallying around Hugh Freeze a little bit here at the moment. Uh, that's clearly not what's going on at Texas A&M. I believe that right now uh, Jimbo Fisher looks like a coach who could be fired at season's end. So given the fact that Freeze seems like a coach on the come up, and Jimbo Fisher looks to be looking for a soft spot to land. I like Auburn here, and I believe they could win this game. Outside the SEC, just for a moment, the difference for me in the Florida State-Clemson game comes down to the Florida State wide receivers. It's not just Keon Coleman, who, by the way, has really not had a huge game since the game uh, against LSU to begin the season. You know, Johnny Wilson, I think, who had a couple drops against LSU, is actually a really good receiver, too. Clemson used to have receivers like this. Now they don't. They also don't have the kind of defense anymore that can stop these kinds of wide receivers either. I believe that's enough to get Florida State to win against Clemson on Saturday. I think Clemson's actually probably a little bit slightly underrated now because we all watched them lose to Duke on Labor Day night. They've played better against lesser competition since then but this is a huge step up in weight class to have to face Florida State I just think right now in key spots certainly at quarterback wide receiver Florida State just has better athletes overall but keep in mind history is working against the Seminoles they've lost seven straight to Clemson have covered the spread in just two of those seven games and then quickly I'll give you this there are so many good games here this weekend 
that almost a few other top 25 games almost like completely fly under the radar and don't get noticed at all. So let me just briefly mention Utah UCLA is probably a better game than you realize. It seems like Cam Rising is probably maybe going to come back for Utah. You know, do your own research on that, I guess. But it seems like Rising could be coming back. But the real story here, I believe, could be Dante Moore, who seems like he is the best quarterback on the UCLA roster. And Moore, the freshman, may get his coming out party in a ranked matchup against a Utah. That should be a lot of fun. And then for Penn State, who's kind of been a little bit of an offseason darling, and some people even think that could be a playoff caliber team and a pretty deep Big Ten East. We haven't seen much from them yet. They beat West Virginia week one, beat Illinois last week. Did not really play a great game. Brett Bielema's Illini teams can make teams have to play ugly from time to time. Penn State sort of won ugly a little bit last week against Illinois, and now they play another sort of thick-ankled Big Ten team like Iowa here this week. Um, It's about time if Penn State's going to be as good as people think they can be. It's about time for Penn State to look like Penn State. So in a battle of ranked foes, Iowa and Penn State, we'll see if James Franklin's charges can do just that. And for now, we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let me give you a quick shout out here before we do some golden shoes. It's our friends at Mr. Electric, because if you need electric panel or wiring repair, or perhaps some EV charging stations, uh, no matter what you need, you can rest assured that one of our expert technicians from Mr. Electric can handle it for you. No project too big or too small. So rest assured that you can count on Mr. Electric for outstanding installation, clear communication, and honest pricing. That all sounds really good to me. And the good news is it's just a $29 dispatch fee. So visit MrElectricAtlanta.com. That's MrElectricAtlanta.com to find your local Mr electric all right so fun golden shoes here this week what do you say we fire up the fight song we'll get ready to play those here on the uh, way out the door starting with our first one here today we'll show it to you on the screen here uh so george on tap just sent this to me been a little bit of uh, chatter against uh uh, Josh Heupel, the Tennessee coach here as of late. Apparently, uh, uh, Joel Klatt, the Fox Sports analyst, goes on TV talking about the fact that he thinks right now that Tennessee is a program having a hard time matching the success that had a year ago. So George on, stap- on tap sent the article to me and said, oh boy, this is a Dog, Nation da- a Dog Nation Daily segment written all over it. I like how he says it's hard to have good seasons year after year. In the case of Tennessee, they may be finding that out right now. So George on tap for making fun of Josh Heupel. We will give him a golden shoe for that. Speaking of battles with opposing fans, our buddy Frankie Fibonacci is always battling with one of our resident Alabama fans about who's got the real RBU. And Frankie pointing out that right now, top five running backs in the NFL, you see three names the University of Georgia. Of course, Nick Chubb now injured, but that just means James Cook and DeAndre Swift. They'll have to carry the load in honor of Georgia as Nick Chubb... Uh, deals with his injury recovery we certainly wish them well as they do that frankie fibonacci will give you a golden shoe for that too and then finally this may only be funny to me but nick saban i i made this one myself so nick saban was on uh the pat mcafee show as he is every week and like the mcafee show is like a very different vibe right mcafee wears the sleeveless shirt he stands up there's a lot of yelling and screaming a lot of you know forced laughter and it's just a kind of an intentionally relaxed vibe Saban always looks like he's broadcasting from a tomb. I mean, it's like the lobby of like the oldest Ritz Carlton you've ever been to in your life. The wood paneled walls, everything else. It's dark as night in there. Uh, but it's also very studious and very professional. Well, I thought when Chris Cole, the new Georgia linebacker commit, when he joined Jeff Sintel for Before the Hedges on Saturday, not to be Mr. Room Raider guy here for a moment, 
But I thought that Chris Cole's backdrop absolutely dwarfed Saban. Saban's taken a lot of L's as of late. I think he got beat in the backdrop game by Cole this week. You know, Saban's got the office, the books, the, you know, rich mahogany, leather-bound books type thing going on. He's trying to be, you know, anchorman Ron Burgundy. But look at uh, Cole there with the brick facade on the wall, bookshelf, books well-placed there. I feel like Chris Cole beats Saban on the background. Like I said, this may be funny only to me, but for some reason, these two backgrounds kind of reminded me of each other. Look at the lighting that Cole has. Uh, you know, no such lighting for Saban. Uh, so I think Saban takes another L there, and we'll give you a golden shoe uh, there on that there as well. How about our Gator Hater Countdown? 36 days from now, Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating Florida again. That's always good news. Y'all have a great weekend. Enjoy the game tomorrow. We'll see you after the game for our Dog Nation post-game show. You can join us via Zoom. You can join us in person at the UGA Bookstore, and you can just watch, which is always a great thing there as well. After the game, and then back here Monday for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. We will look forward to talking to you then.